following sermon is from Grace City Church, located in DY, Sydney, Australia. If you'd like to know more about us, head to gracecitychurch.net. So uh, we are continuing our series on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and Hugh um, you know, did a great preach last week talking about... Um, Isaac uh, finding a wife, although he didn't actually do much to find her, but his servant uh, found him a wife, Rebecca, and uh, he was talking about the sovereignty of God in that, which was amazing and so helpful to us. And uh, today we, we carry on with, uh, with a story, and uh, today's story is really, uh, it rivals any soap opera that you can watch on daytime television. I reckon this is where, where they got it from. It's a, it's a story that has got twists and deceit and love and betrayal and all those things. Uh, it's, it really is an interesting story, and I just love the way the Bible has these stories in it. Uh, you read them, you think, oh my gosh, how did that all happen? And is there, is there a good person in the story? And we, we'll wait and see. Are any of them heroes? Can we call any of them heroes? Uh, you'll have to see as, as we go through the story. So uh, there are four main characters in the story. I'll just uh, describe them to you to set the scene, and then we'll have a look at, uh, at the story. So the first one is Isaac. Um, and Isaac, uh, as we know and we've seen through this series, was Abraham's uh, son of promise who was given to him in his old age. Uh, God had promised uh, him a son that uh, would fulfill this promise of becoming a great nation that God would bless, uh, that would then bless all the other nations of the earth. And Isaac was the son of, of promise. And um, after that, we don't really know too much about Isaac. We, we see that when Abraham died, the Bible says that God blessed Isaac. Uh, he, he blessed him. And then we see that uh, he ends up with Rebekah, as we saw last week, and has this, this great wife that God uh, provides for him. Uh, then after that, uh, there's a little story where Isaac seems to follow in his father Abraham's footsteps, and he calls his wife Rebekah his sister, which is what Abraham had done. Uh, not a great family trait, really, but uh, seems to have, have followed through. And uh, then we uh, get to this part of the story where he's now in his old age. And to be honest, um, Isaac really continues to disappoint uh, as we look at the story. He's, he's not a great parent. Uh, he clearly favors his one son, Esau. So they had twins, Esau and uh, Jacob. And he favors Esau very much over Jacob. And it seems like maybe the reason is that uh, Esau is a hunter and uh, that he, uh, you know, would bring back game, which, which Isaac uh, loved, loved the food, uh, seems very focused on food. There's a lot about food in the story. Uh, and so it seems like he favored uh, Esau. It's hard to tell any other reason uh, why he did. So we certainly don't want to take uh, any parenting tips from uh, this father in the faith, uh, Isaac. And then we have Rebecca, Isaac's beautiful wife. And uh, again, her parenting skills uh, are maybe a bit dubious. We see that she favors Jacob, the, the other son. 
and uh, she seems prepared to do anything uh, to help him, even as we're going to see, devising a scheme to trick her husband. So she seems, um, you know, to want to do anything she can to help Jacob. Uh, it seems that uh, she's maybe a bit controlling uh, and certainly determined to get her own way. So those are the first two, the, the husband and wife. And then we have the two sons. So we have Esau and Jacob. And they, they were twins, uh, born as twins, but very, very different. They obviously looked very different, and uh, the way they behaved is very different. So I thought we need you know, a graphic picture of this. So we have Esau, and one of the things we know about Esau is that he was hairy. hairy. He was very hairy. So who's the ideal person to play Esau? Kerry. Where's Kerry? Come on, Kerry. Come up front. Where are you? There he is. Thank you, Kerry. It's not the only reason I've chosen Kerry. You'll see when we describe him. You'll see. Come stand up here, Kerry. And, and Jacob, of course, was a smooth man. So I think uh, Hugh is probably the perfect uh, person to play Jacob. The hairless Hugh and the hairy Kerry. There we go. It's perfect. It even rhymes. Come and stand over here. So, so these two are twins, which I know is hard to believe, but... Uh, it, it probably, look at that, that's perfect. No, no, no. People might never come back if you do that, Kerry. <laughs> and it's on video as well, I mean, please. Maybe we'll get more hits than ever before. <laughs> so, so here's Esau. So Esau, as we know, was, was hairy. Uh, but he was also a man's kind of man. He was, he was a hunter. And, uh, yeah, tough. he was a tough guy. It fits Kerry perfectly. And, and it seems like the most important thing to him was food, which I think kind of fits really well as well. So, so, so that's Esau. Tough guy, man's man. And then we have Jacob here, the smooth one. And to be honest, he was a sensitive type. Bit of a mummy's boy. He stayed around the tents and he stayed at home. Uh, seems like he was scared of his dad and controlled by his mother. So, you know, I'm not going to say any more about that. So, so these were the two sons, very, very different. And uh, you guys can sit down for a moment, but I'm going to use you again as we go on the story. So uh, you can take a seat for a moment. So those are our four characters, Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob. So let me tell you the story. I'm going to read some of it, and I'm going to tell you some of it. So as we know, Isaac, he's old and weak. Uh, he's mostly blind. Uh, so he realizes that he is going to, to die. And as was the custom, he wants to give his blessing uh, to the son. And remember that this is really important, uh, considering the context of Abraham being given this amazing promise and blessing, which was passed on to Isaac, and Isaac's going to pass this on uh, to his son. But this is where the first problem hits. Because uh, if Isaac was following the custom of the day, then he would gather all his sons, and there would be a blessing for each of them. There would be the main blessing for the, the eldest, uh, but there would be a blessing for all the sons. Not only that, but when uh, Esau and Jacob were actually in Rebekah's womb, 
and they were jostling and fighting within the womb. God speaks and says that the older, that's Esau, because he came out first, will serve the younger, that's Jacob. So God has already said that actually Jacob is going to be the one that is going to continue uh, the line. Jacob is the one that is to inherit the blessing. So what is Isaac doing? Here he is. He actually calls Esau to come. He calls Esau to come and to be blessed. We see also that, um, I, uh, that uh, Jacob and Esau, Esau had already given Jacob his birthright. So earlier on in the story, when they were a bit younger, uh, Esau, being out hung, hunting, comes in, uh, and he's really hungry. Uh, Jacob is there cooking, and uh, he says, uh, you know, give me some of the food. And, and so Jacob says, well, I'll give you the food if you give me the, your birthright as the eldest son. And, and that's what Esau does. He gives, he gives Jacob the birthright for actually, and this is the part I really struggle with, some lentil stew. I mean, you could understand if it was a roast lamb, but it was a lentil stew that he gave up his birthright for. Anyway, that's maybe just me. But, uh, but that's what he does. He gives up his birthright. So knowing all of this, Isaac chooses to ignore it and calls only for Esau. And this is what Isaac says. He says, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like. It wasn't lentil stew. And bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So he's just, he's going to bless only Esau. Rebecca, though, she hears what's going on. She's listening in, and uh, she hears the conversation, and she hatches a plan. So she calls Jacob to her, and she says to Jacob, Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies." Well, at that point, Jacob starts to freak out a bit, really, uh, at the idea of doing this, because it seems that uh, he was certainly scared of, uh, of his dad, and he starts to think of all the reasons why this plan isn't going to work, and especially the skin, smooth skin, hairy skin. And so he says to his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man, while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother, though, is very sharp, and uh, I think at this stage she uses all of her maternal control to get Jacob to listen. And actually she says, uh, don't worry, I'll take the curse on me. Whether that works or not, uh, I don't know. But uh, that's what she says. She convinces him uh, that he should go through with his plan. So she makes the food uh, from the goats uh, like she knows her husband likes. And then she dresses Isaac in Esau's clothes and she puts goat skins on his hands and on the back of his neck so that he'll feel hairy. So with everything prepared, Jacob goes into his father 
with the food. And this is the tense moment of the story because what happens if Esau comes back at this moment? It's going to blow the whole plan wide open. What happens if Isaac doesn't believe that it's Esau and knows that it's Jacob? So Jacob goes in and he uh, says to his father, My father, yes, my son, Isaac answers. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I guess he's maybe starting to give the game away already because he would have just said, if he was Esau, I'm Esau. He wouldn't have to qualify. So then he says, I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac is obviously a bit suspicious at this point, And so he asks his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, is what Jacob says. Very, very good answer, because that throws Isaac off. He's saying, your God, the Lord your God, he's given me success. This is amazing. I've, I've got this game really quickly. It's a good, clever answer, but it's maybe not such a good answer if you're applying to be a father of the faith. Uh, lying about what God does is probably not so good on your resume when you're applying to be a father of the faith. So maybe not such a good answer. But the tension is mounting at this point as Isaac seems suspicious. Uh, the foods come too quickly. Also, he, he hears that this doesn't sound like Esau. So he wants to check. So the Bible then says, Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He's still not totally convinced. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son Bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate, and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. It's a cunning move because he's drawing him in right close, right close. Is he going to know who it is? So Jacob went to him and kissed him. But when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, remember he's got Esau's clothes on, he blessed him. So the plan worked. The deception has worked. Jacob has got the blessing. He's got the blessing. And no sooner has Jacob uh, gone out when Esau arrives with the game which he prepares to take to Isaac, only to find that Jacob has already received the blessing. <coughs> Excuse me. Esau asks Isaac, is there any blessing reserved for me? But Isaac replies, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? The Bible actually says that Isaac trembled violently at this point. We don't know, is he, is he trembling because uh, he's so upset that uh, he's, he's been tricked and actually Jacob has got the blessing instead of Esau? Or maybe he's trembling because actually he realizes he's being caught out. Uh, he, he knows that it's actually Jacob that should have got the blessing, and he's, he's being caught out. Esau also is, 
is distraught at this point. Maybe finally uh, birthright and blessing, maybe finally it's, it's made some sense to him. Uh, whereas before he's discarded it for food, maybe finally uh, he realizes uh, what, what he's lost. And he's distraught and so he decides to kill Jacob as soon as the time of mourning for Isaac is over. Rebecca, again, she hears of Esau's plan, so she sends Jacob away uh, to flee to her brother. So that's the story. So what do we do with that story? <laughs> Who's the hero in the story? Well, other than God. God is certainly going to be the hero. But of the four, uh, none of them really seem to be behaving in a way that we want to emulate, uh, that, that we want to follow. So I want to look at two points out of the story, and then a third point, really, which is what the story portrays. The first thing I want us to note is around this whole area of instant gratification, instant gratification. And we see that Esau and maybe Isaac, to some extent, he lives in a way that's focused just on what's in front of him, and he's not looking ahead. So Esau, you know, his focus is his hunting, his focus is food, his focus is just what's right there in front of him, the thought of a birthright, of a promise. It doesn't seem to carry much weight, except, as I said, maybe when he realizes that he's lost it. But certainly the way he'd been living till then, there was no sense of, uh, of any uh, importance with what is to come in the future. In fact, he'd even married... Uh, the locals, which, which he was not meant to do, and had wives that, that were uh, a pain in the neck for uh, Rebecca and Isaac. We see them refer to it because he'd married these women uh, who, who were from tribes that they were not meant to marry into. He's not really bothered uh, about the promise uh, and what's meant to happen. He's just looking at the here and now. He's given his birth you know, right away, just for the immediacy of food that's right in front of him. And I think uh, that describes this instant gratification, describes the generation that we live in. We want instant gratification, and we're very focused on the here and now. We have acronyms, which I know I'm probably too old to use, but I'll use them in the preach, but we have acronyms like YOLO, you only live once, or FOMO, fear of missing out. And these acronyms, they point to a psyche that all our gratification has to be here and now, in these years that I live on earth. That's what they point to. I, I, you know, I don't, I've got a fear of missing out. I've got, I only live once. It's all about now. It's about now. I've got to experience everything that I can now. I have to absorb everything that I can. I have to uh, travel everywhere that I can. I have to absorb every experience uh, that I can. And as Christians, we can buy into this as much as anyone. And I think what it actually does is it severely limits what we can do for God. It severely limits what we can do for God. So God calls us to live with eternity in mind. He calls us to be living here now, but with eternity in mind. Knowing that we can put up with difficulty, that we can put up with trouble, that we can put up with hard times because we have rewards coming in the future. Our gratification can be deferred. We don't have to be gratified in every single way 
right now, here and now, in this life. Our gratification can be deferred. It doesn't have to be instantaneous. And what that means when we start to live like that, it means that, well, we can be here on a Sunday instead of on the beach, you know, worshiping with God's people. It means that we can serve uh, in ways where we're serving someone, we're doing things for people, and we can give up hours of our week, and we can give up our time. It means that we can give away our money uh, in a way that is not focused on the here and now. It might affect the house that we can buy, the money that we give. It might affect the way we live from month to month because of the money that we give. But if our focus is on the here and now and being gratified with everything here and now, then, then we're not going to want to serve. We're not going to want to give because we have to achieve everything now. But when our focus is on eternity, it changes our mindset. When someone, you know, is doing a job that's not very pleasant for the church, then we'll often joke and say, don't worry, your reward's in heaven. The thing is, though, it's not actually a joke. It's not a joke. It's the real thing. It is the real thing. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know about you, but... You know, I kind of know that verse and I've heard it, you know, so many times that it almost just kind of bounces off, really. But Jesus is saying, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That is the real deal. And we need to shake off our culture's insistent focus on the here and now. We have to live with eternity in mind. And I also want to say to you, if you here this morning and you haven't committed your life to Jesus yet, then this equally applies to you. The world convinces you that you just need to live for the here and now, and you can make a decision about God if there is one at some later stage. But the reality is, the re- reality of the here and now is that any one of us could die today. You know, we can die at any moment. That is actually the truth of this life that we live. And once we've died, it's too late to make a decision about our eternity. I'm not trying to scare you into making a decision, but this, again, is the real deal. You cannot afford to delay deciding to follow Christ. Today is the day of your salvation. Today you are offered eternal life. Don't wait. Don't Live as if, well, tomorrow I can do it. Today is the day that God is calling you. You need to give your life to Jesus today. The second point I want us to notice out of the story, I've called it grace, grace, grace. Uh, God, you know, had declared before Jacob and Esau were born that Esau would serve Jacob. And uh, as I've said, that's in the context of this promise to Abraham. But as we've seen in the story, at the critical point where Isaac is going to do the wrong thing, he he wants to, you know, bless Esau. But at that critical point, neither Rebekah nor Jacob stand in faith that God will accomplish his purposes. 
So God has already said it's going to be Jacob. And they know that. Isaac, he's going off track. But Jacob and Rebekah, they don't stand in faith that God is in control. And they decide to make a deceitful plan and take things into their own hands. God's purposes, though, will not be thwarted, and so he still blesses Jacob. And Jacob does become uh, the one that is the father of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the one that uh, that line follows through. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but we see, though, that sin does have its consequences. Their decision to be deceitful has its consequences. As a result, Jacob has to go through a whole lot of pain. He has to flee to his uncles. He's got to work there for years. He gets tricked himself uh, by his uncle, as we're going to see in the next story, where he doesn't get the wife he wanted and has to work again. He goes through a whole lot of pain. Rebecca, she realizes at this point uh, that she's lost her son Esau by tricking him. And she doesn't want to lose her other sons, so she sends Jacob away thinking he'll be gone just for a couple of days. But in reality, he's gone for 20 years, and she never sees her favorite son again. So there are consequences. There are consequences of our behavior. But God's grace to us is that he continues to work out his amazing plan. He continues to use us despite our deceitful schemes, despite uh, us going off track. He continues to pour our grace on us, mercy that we don't deserve. He continues to call us into His purposes even when we blow it again and again and again. It's incredible. God's grace to us, His mercy to us is amazing. And I don't know, maybe you feel you're making a mess of something at the moment. Maybe you feel God has spoken to you ages ago about something and, and you've just never really got there. You've made other plans. Well, the good news is that God wants to call you back. He wants to restore you to that purpose. He wants to bring you back on track. That's His grace and mercy to us. Maybe you just feel you're making a mess of life at the moment. Maybe you making a mess of being single. You're just making a mess of it. Maybe you're making a mess of being married. Maybe you're making a mess of being a parent. Well, God's grace is so wonderful that He wants to strengthen us. He wants to bring us through again and again and again, and He wants to bring us on track. What we need to do is stop trying to make things happen in our own strength. Stop trying to make our own plans take a realistic assessment and stop running, turn to God and lay these things afresh at His feet. We realize that, yes, our consequences have, action, have, have uh, the consequences of our actions uh, mean that there may be uh, different things that happen in our life, but ultimately God's grace will bring us back on track. Lastly, I want us to consider the picture that this story gives us of what it means to be in Christ. Let me get Hugh up here again for a moment. So this is Jacob, the smooth one. Very smooth, Hughie. So, so what happens is um, 
is Rebecca puts Esau's clothes on Jacob. We won't do that because we've seen Carrie's belly already. Um, so you've got, you got Esau's clothes on, and then these smooth hands need to be changed. So this is a goat skin. I know it doesn't look like one, but let's pretend that's a goat skin. So he puts a goat skin on there, puts a goat skin on there, and one on the back of his neck, because I guess Esau's going to, I mean, it's Isaac's going to go like that, yeah? So that when Isaac touches him, this is hairy, this must be Esau. And because Jacob has now become Esau, Jacob receives the blessing. He receives the promise. And that promise, remember, it's, it's about prosperity. It's about amazing life. It's about growth. It's about being the father of a nation. It's amazing promise, amazing promise. And he receives it because he's been clothed in Esau. Okay, he's clothed in Esau. So that is an amazing picture. It's an amazing picture of what God has done for us. Let me read you a couple of scriptures that describes what God has done for us. Galatians 3 says this, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Ephesians 1, it says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Colossians 3 says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So the same thing has happened to us. As we've become a Christian, we have been clothed in Christ and so receive a blessing. So it's very similar to the picture that we see of Jacob becoming Esau. But it's also quite different because the thing about this is Jacob, once he's tricked Isaac, then he takes these off and he's back to being Jacob again. Yeah? The hairiness is gone. He's back to being smooth. And so I think we can sometimes want to do that with our Christianity. We put it on. We're hairy. And then we take it off. And we smooth. And we think that we can add Christianity to our lives like that, that we put it on when we feel like it, and we take it off when we don't. But that is not what happens, as we've read in these verses. It looks more like this. So, Kerry, come up here. We're going to upgrade Kerry from Esau to Jesus. There you go. <laughs> and we'll upgrade Hugh from Jacob to Hugh. That's an upgrade. So this is, this is Jesus. So stand here and put your arms out, Kerry. There's Jesus. So Hugh here, he is going to give his life to Christ. Okay, so he makes a commitment to Christ, and uh, he gives his life. says, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. I believe that you have died and rose again, that you died for my sin, and I give my life to you. So what happens to Hugh at that point is that he dies. The Bible talks about baptism being the picture. So he's going to die. Go down for me here. He's going to die. Yeah, he's dead. And then he's going to get up. And then he comes up. When he comes up, he's actually here because he's actually in Christ. He's actually in Christ. This is the picture. 
And wherever Hugh goes, well, Kerry goes, yeah? Yeah? So he can't take him off. It's not just a piece of skin. Look at that. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so that is the picture. That is what happens to us when we give our lives to Jesus. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. So that means that sitting here right now, you are in Christ. It means actually that when you decide to sin tomorrow, you are in Christ. You can't take Him off. It's not a bit of hair that you can take off. You are in Christ. Once uh, you have become a Christian, you are changed forever. It's done. You are now in Christ. That is what identifies you. I'm Mike Irving, but I'm Mike Irving in Christ. That can never change. No matter what I do, I'm Mike Irving in Christ. And so as a result of being in Christ, we receive the blessing of being in Christ. And uh, I went through the Scripture and I just picked out some things of what it means to be in Christ. I'm going to just read them out to you. I want you just to absorb them. You can close your eyes if you want to. They're going to come up on the screen behind me. But every single one of you that have given your lives to Jesus Christ, this is the truth. You have received these blessings because you're in Christ. So it means that we have been made alive in Christ. We are new creations. We are saints or holy ones. We have been justified. We have hope for eternity. We've been adopted as God's children. We have direct access to God. We've been redeemed and forgiven all our sins. We are complete in Christ. We've been appointed to bear fruit. We are temples of God. We are free from condemnation. We cannot be separated from the love of God. We are citizens of heaven. We will be persecuted. We are no longer slaves to sin. We will be resurrected. We are born of God, and the evil one cannot touch us. We have patient endurance. We have hearts and minds that are guarded by the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. We will receive an inheritance as a reward in heaven. We are righteous. We have the Holy Spirit. We will appear with Christ in glory. We do not have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Isn't that amazing? Could the band come up, please? Those things are all true of us because we are in Christ. And as I said, that cannot change. Satan wants us to believe otherwise. He wants us to believe that we're more like Jacob, who can just take Esau off, and that, you know, we don't stay. It's just a temporary thing. It's a lie. The truth is we are found in Christ, and so we have all the blessing that comes with being in Christ. So I'd like you to stand. I'd like to stand. And our time's almost gone, but I'm, I want to encourage you to come to the front as we worship. And the reason I say that is it's just good to, to make a move, um, physical move, to respond to God. Because I believe that there are people 
here this morning who need to respond to God. You need to respond to God if you've been living for the here and now. And I believe God wants to put eternity afresh in your heart and mind. He wants to do that this morning. He wants to put that in your heart and mind. I believe that God wants to give you grace this morning where you've gone off track. He wants to pour out grace on you this morning. He wants you to know His love. He wants you to know His joy. And I believe some of us need to repent even of not standing in Christ as we are, of thinking we can take Him off and on, that He's just an addition maybe to our lives. And so I want to encourage you as we start to worship just to come to the front and just to let God pour out His love on you. As I say, there's nothing special about the front, but it's just a response to say, God, come fill me, do these things in me. So let's worship and just respond as you want to.